everybody. This is William L. Myers, Jr., and you're listening to the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, and you're listening to my show, Writing Wrongs. I am a Philadelphia author and a Philadelphia lawyer, and I interview other authors on this program. I love writing, and I love talking to writers about writing. Today, I am especially honored to be talking with Hank Philippi Ryan, who is a five-time Agatha Award winner, a Mary Higgins Clark Award winner, who has won 36 Emmys and 14 Edward R. Morrow Awards for investigative journalism. Hank, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so pleased to be here. Um, We're going to have a lot of fun because we're going to talk about writing and your writing And I want to ask you about the book, The Murder List, which I've just finished and absolutely love. Um, Hank, why don't you tell us just a little bit about um, your background? I know you started as an investigative reporter, and you've won uh, a tremendous amount of recognition for very serious reporting. Can you just spend a minute telling us about that? Sure. I mean, this is – it's such a funny – thought how our lives evolve and grow and change in ways um, that we never could have predicted. But I've been a television reporter for 43 years now. Um, I'm still on the air at Channel 7 in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, I've wired myself with hidden cameras and confronted corrupt politicians and chased down criminals and gone undercover and in disguise. And, you know, as a result of our stories, we've gotten new laws passed. People have been sent to prison. I've gotten people's homes out of foreclosure and millions of dollars in refunds and restitution. Um, And I'm still on the air, as I said, here in Boston as an investigative reporter. And it's such, you know, what investigative reporting is, is digging out a story, a a story with a secret, um, and telling it. As you said, I have 36 Emmys for investigative reporting. And every one of those shiny statues represents a secret that someone didn't want you to know, a secret that I got to research and dig out and discover and then make into a compelling, riveting, important story. And that structure of telling an important story, a a compelling, riveting, page-turning story, is what I've done for the past 43 years on television, and then also what I try to do in my thrillers. You know, I want you to miss your stop on the train because you're reading my books, and I don't want you to change the channel when you're watching my stories on TV. So I've been a storyteller my whole life and career, even though there are two careers, one as an investigative reporter and the other as a crime fiction author. They're so compatible and so similar, and I'm so lucky to be able to have one foot in each of those worlds. And I want to talk to you about, in a minute I'll talk to you about the murder list, because there is a very, very big secret at the heart of that book. And I will tell you, when the the secret was revealed, I was incredibly surprised and really happy at how you pulled it off. Um, with, With the investigative journalism that you did, where you are confronting bad guys, you're confronting people who don't want to be interviewed, who don't want their secret revealed. That seems to me to be a pretty a pretty gutsy thing. Have you have you always had that kind of courage 
where where you knew that you were going to do something that required guts like that um, in whatever career you chose. You know, it's interesting that you asked that question because I wonder, you're making me wonder as I think about your thoughtful question, whether whether courage and guts is what it takes initially, and I think it is. But I also think that what's important in being an investigative reporter is doing your homework. You know what I really love about it is having the tiny inkling of the possibility of a story, having the tiny inkling of something that's going to be compelling and irresistible and that could make the world change. And then digging out that story, having the confidence and the knowledge to to know that I can find the answer, that I can find the story, that I know where to go to look for the story, that I know what questions to ask. So when I'm in those very contentious um, interviews or confrontations, the kinds where people run away from me or slam the door in my face, I I wouldn't set one foot into a confrontational interview like that if I didn't have supreme confidence that I knew exactly what I was talking about. And I think that I think the that sheer knowledge gives me the uh I don't know, courage, the confidence to be able to face off against someone who doesn't want to tell me something because they know that I know what I'm talking about. Um, And so that preparation, that sort of setting the stage, um, that sort of planning uh, is what allows me to do stories like that and also what allows me to write books that might surprise you and that always surprise me. Um, Because I think, you know, as a... As, a, as an investigative reporter, I don't know what the end of a story is, because if I knew it, then it wouldn't be new, right? It would be a story that everybody already is aware of. But and as a storyteller, as a fictional storyteller in my thrillers, and The Murderlist, as you say, is my 11th thriller, a, st- a psychological legal standalone, um, I don't know what the end of those books will be either, but I'm just as being as I do in being an investigative reporter, I'm going out and searching for the story. I'm searching for the story. And at some point when I've done enough research and enough thought and enough writing um, and, en- and enough organization and enough imagination, then somehow that story, whether it's fictional or whether it's an investigation, the story comes together like, a, like solving a Rubik's Cube puzzle, click, 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 and at, at some point after a lot of work and polish, the real story, the real picture emerges. And it's exciting every time. I mean, you know this, being an author, it's exciting every time. You know, sometimes I say, if I just could have one good idea a day, one good idea a day, then I'm happy because that's really all you need in writing is the next step and the next step and the next step. And it's exactly the same thing as being an investigative reporter. You just need the next step and the next step and the next step. So being a reporter has been, and I'm sure being uh, for you, being a lawyer is exactly the same thing. It's, it's all exactly the same preparation. Yeah. It's it's the same in many ways. And you, and you touched on something that a lot of readers find it to be surprising, which is that if you're a writer, if you're specifically an organic writer, you don't necessarily know 
what the secret is or how the story is going to end or who the culpable party is going to be when you start the story. It's when they start to interact with each other and you, you kind of figure it out. You learn about your characters as you're writing them. Why don't you, you, you tell us a little bit about that? Um, and, and let's talk about the murder list. Rachel well, Moore. She's the okay, protagonist. Well, let me tell you one thing, which I think is so interesting and so instructive for your listeners. Dennis Lehane has, this, has a great way of thinking about it, and he talks about how a good book is when an author takes a bunch of interesting characters, each of whom wants something, and then mm-hmm. puts them in a room and just sees what happens. And and that's what you kind of do. You know, I I was reading an article of the George R. R. Martin where he was interviewed, the person who wrote Game of Thrones, as you well know. And he was talking about um, it's not so much plotter and pantser, the people who plot out their books or the people that just write by the seat of their pants. But he thinks of it as architects and gardeners, that architects have set up this structure of their book for moment one, and they just put up the walls and put up this, the concrete or whatever you do when you build a house um, and make your book out of this structure. And that gardeners plant the seed of their book and then watch it, cultivate it and take care of it and watch it grow. And that's exactly how I write. I, have, I start with the seed, and I'll tell you the seed for the murder list in a second. I start with the seed. And then I plant it and cultivate it and work on it and think about it and let it sort of get warmed by the sun of imagination, if I can just torture this metaphor, and then see what grows as a result of that. And the result is, to me, always, always I'm surprised. So I have no idea who's going to be good and who's going to be bad and who the bad guy is. Um, it's, It's really kind of... It's really kind of fascinating. That's what gets me to the computer every day, you know, is I think I wonder what's going to happen. You know, I, and if I don't write the story, then I don't know what's going to happen. So when people like I, your you say – Your enthusiasm is infectious, and I can, <laughs> I, can tell, I can tell that you are still really, really enjoying this, and, and that makes me really happy. Um, and I, can, I could feel that energy when I read the murder list. I mean, it well, wasn't tired. It wasn't worn. The characters weren't worn, and the surprise at the end really is a surprise. Well, you know, the surprises in that book are interesting because it's not just a surprise at the end, and I know we probably should not talk about that, but there are surprises all the way through, and that's one of the things that I loved about writing it. As the book progressed at every level, as the murder list progressed at every level, I would think, are you kidding me, that? You know, or in the, you know, in the right. next section, I would say, oh, my goodness, it was that that happened. And in the right. end, and as I said, I didn't know the end, in the end, you know, people say to me like you, oh, my goodness, the end of the murder list, you really surprised me. And I say, mm-hmm. yeah, wasn't that a surprise? You know, talk about a surprise ending. I surprised myself. I surprised myself every time. And, you know, that Sue Grafton used to call that the magic of writing, that something happens in the writer brain that allows a story to emerge that we didn't know existed. And how, how does that happen? You know, how do you or I sit down at our computer and type out a story that's a new world, a brand new thing that's never well, existed that's, before? Yeah. It, it, it is, and, and part of the magic of it is we create characters, and we can make them do certain things, 
but the characters all do take on a life of their own. You you may you may write a character and say, I'm just going to put this person in here as a plot device or as someone that the protagonist can talk to rather than just think things. And then the character you've created makes it clear to you that he or she wants to be a three-dimensional person, that they have their own wants, their own desires, um, and their own needs, and they're not going to let you write them out of the story or write them flat. Does that happen to you? It, every time, of course, every time, and you hope for it, and you cross your fingers for it, but you, but you can't make it happen. And I think that one of the things that successful writers know and that I'm trying to learn is that sometimes is, is that you can't, you know, again, back to this gardening metaphor, but you can't force the thing to happen. It has to grow in its own way and at its own rate. I can tell you that in one of my books, um, I realized near the end, I was almost finished writing it, and I was so pleased with myself, and I thought I knew the ending. And then I thought, oh, my goodness, no, that's not the ending. I realized that I had picked the wrong bad guy. I had written toward the wrong bad guy. And that and when, I, when I realized who the real villain was, I looked at my manuscript, and I barely had to change a word. You know, the, the, the villain was there, guilty as pie. I just hadn't noticed it. You know, I just hadn't solved my own mystery, which is just, which is just the craziest thing. And that's exactly what happened in The Murder List as well. I did not begin The Murder List um, even knowing who the victim would be, let alone who the villain would be. Um, and it was an incredible joy to write that book. And I can see the way that the characters are set out. You have Rachel North, uh, the protagonist, Jack, her husband, who's older than her. He's a lawyer. She's a law student. And you have Martha Gardner, who is a prosecutor, who is Jack's enemy that Rachel goes to work for as an intern. You have this triangle, and it creates all kinds of tension between all the characters. Rachel, her husband, the defense attorney, and the prosecutor that Rachel is working with. And between the three of them, you really don't know who's good, who's bad, who's being honest and upfront, who's hiding things. And I could see that as between them and even some other characters, any one of them could have turned out to be the bad guy. Yes, or all of them or none of them. Right? right, because it's one of those things where the story, the murderless, started out to be a story about truth and justice. I mean, uh, you know, I, I read an I read an article recently where someone had said to someone else, "Why do you write stories about murder? There are already so many murders in real life." And this person said, "I don't write about murder. I write about justice." And that really touched me because I think that's what I. I write about too. What does it mean to be have a just life, and what does it mean to be good, and what does truth mean, and how truth is only how we see it? So I wanted Rachel North. I, there are three main characters in the Murder List, as you say so perfectly. Rachel North, who is the world's most reliable narrator, she will tell you exactly what she believes to be true. And she is on the track to be a successful lawyer because she's married to the best defense attorney in Boston, but she's working for the prosecution. So as you say, I saw that triangle structure 
are Jack and Rachel, husband and wife, are they the allies you know, in force against the nemesis Martha Gardner as husband and wife? Or is the strongest relationship the two women, Rachel and Martha, are they the two strong women who might align against evil Jack, you know, and all the other men who are trying to ruin the lives of women who are just trying to be successful? Or is it the two lawyers, Martha and Jack, who pretend to hate each other, but actually who are the smart, determined ones who have another agenda that Rachel doesn't know about? And it could be any of them. It could be and any alliance. Open. You, and, and you when leave you, it open, the, the whole book, you, you reinforce each of those different possible storylines throughout the book so that at no point can the reader say, oh, I know, I know exactly what's going on here. But isn't that like real life? And isn't that like investigative reporting? Because we, in life, we have no idea what, are each, what other people are thinking or what their real motives are or what they really want and how far they'll go to get it. And just like in investigative reporting, we don't know what secrets they have. And that's, you know, that's the essence of the book, that everyone in this book, the, the three main characters and other people in the book, you know, importantly so, have secrets that they are trying to hide and things that they are trying to um, cover up. So, you know, one of uh, my favorite review of The Murderless, someone said, if John Grisham and Lisa Scottolini had a book baby, <laughs> The Murderless would be it. And I think about that every day because that is just the most perfect of descriptions of this book. You know, it's a standalone. I've written, this is my 11th book, but my second standalone. And the idea of the difference of writing uh, a standalone versus a, a, a series novel is so profound. The idea of the freedom of writing a standalone where absolutely anything could happen, where anyone could be good, as you say, anyone could be bad, anyone could be lying, and anyone could die. Anyone could die in a standalone. And yeah, that you don't is, have to, they don't have to live for the next book. Well, exactly. You know, Harry Bosch is not going to die because right. he's going to come back in the next Bosch book, right? Nancy Drew right. is not going to die. And as, a, as an author, a person who writes series has the struggle, the challenge of uh, creating suspense that comes from something other than the mortality of the main character, right? It has to... That because the because readers are smart, my readers are smart, your readers are smart, they know there's going to be book eight, and so Sally, the main character, isn't going to die. It has to be something else, and that's a challenge. That can be a challenge for thriller mystery writers. But in, but in a standalone like The Murder List or like Trust Me, um, anything could happen, and that was my goal in writing – the murder list is to write a book where I could almost pull the rug out from under the reader and say, you think you're smart, but watch this. And I, and the readers, you know, one of my favorite reactions from readers is that they'll email me and say, I, the minute I finished your book, I went back and started reading it again to look for all the clues I missed. Um, and that is just the highest accolade. That, that is. And you, and you brilliantly sprinkled the book with enough clues that whoever turned out to be the bad guy, there would have been more than enough in the book to support it. 
Um, and that's, I mean, that's a high art. That's high art. That's a difficult thing to do. Yes, thank you. Um, what a wonderful compliment, and I really appreciate that, especially from a, a fellow author. You know, this is the wonderful part about editing, too. You can go back and tweak and polish and twist and make everything hang together perfectly. I, You know, I, I grew up reading mysteries, and I always loved – I mean, if you read, for instance, Murder on the Orient Express, you know, what a tour de force. How brilliant is that? And when you finish reading it and you see that slam dunk ending and you think, how did Agatha Christie do that? And you go back and read it, and it is all there. It is fair, um, fair to the reader. The, the, it was, there was just marvelous misdirection and sleight of hand, you know, in Agatha Christie's brilliant brain. And we all fall for it. You know, we're all looking somewhere else. And she's my role model in, in this kind of book that you want the reader to close the book and say, I should have seen that coming, not, are you kidding me, the brother from Australia, you know, that we, have, we, have, we, have, that we met on page 342, right. you know, a fair, a fair and satisfying, surprising but inevitable ending. Yeah, because it, it, readers want to be surprised, but they don't want something from left field where they, where they never had a chance to figure things out for themselves. I so agree. And how many books have you read where it's good, 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 and then you get to the ending and you think, are you kidding me, that? I, you know, I don't believe that for a minute. Or it's, it's contrived or it's phony or it's out of left field or the clear blue. And, you know, it, as a writer, you know this. It's hard, to, it's hard to write the end of the book. You know, you have to... It has to be perfect, and every single loose end has to be tied up, and the reader has to, you know, that great, great feeling, which is what I'm going for, and I know you are too, is that when you close the book and you think, wow, that was a good story, you know, and that's exactly what happens in investigative reporting as well. The highest accolade a reporter could get is, wow, that's a good story, um, and that's what I live for too uh, as an author. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this about, about character. Um, you know, one of the challenges in writing fiction is writing characters that feel true, that aren't all goody goody, all you know, all bad guy, bad bad bad. Um, they have to have some layering. How how would you say that your your career as an investigative journalist, where you come across good people, bad people, and I guess everything in between? How how would you say that that has shaped you or helped you as a writer? Oh, what a good and interesting question. Um, I think that one of the things that I learn, and we all learn as we're dealing with people, is that, and I keep saying it, this, is that everyone wants something. And people have different um, levels of how far they'll go to get that thing and what they'll do to get that thing and how they feel about why they want it are they you know do, are they do they feel like revenge is it that they have been treated unfairly is it that everybody else seems to be winning and they never win you know people have a have a justification an emotional justification i've learned as a reporter and as a human being people come up with the emotional justifications for why they do something so or why they make a decision and since a book the engine that drives every successful thriller 
um, is conflict and decision-making, right? What a character decides to do given an obstacle, given a, a, a solution that has to be found. Do they do a good guy thing or do they do a bad guy thing? And either way, decision that either door they go through, the, the author has to know why they did that. The reader doesn't necessarily have to know at that moment why they did it, but the author has to know why they did it. Um, and once you, and in real life and in crime fiction, when you understand people's motivation and that people will do what they want, and at some point they cross a line and then another line and then another line and realize that they're at a point that if someone had said to them, you know, seven weeks ago, would you do X, Y, and Z? And they would say no. And then seven weeks later, there they are, having crossed this line that they never could have predicted they would cross. Why did they do that? Why did they make that decision? Um, and that's the central point of every investigative story, and that's the central point um, of every character, every three-dimensional character in a book, is that everybody does something because of something. And that because, that why, um, is, the, is, the, is, the, is the motivation for the whole story, not just for the character, but for the story. And when those motivations clash, when person A wants something and person B wants the opposite and they face off against each other, then, you know, I write cat and mouse thrillers. That's my entire milieu is cat and mouse thriller. But for the reader, has to under, has to figure out which character is the cat and which character is the mouse. Right, and that's and that is exactly what is happening in the murder list. Um, you have not just the three main characters, Rachel, Jack, and Martha, um, but other characters as well. You really are trying to figure out who who's the predator here and who is the prey. And it, like I said, until the very end, you don't know who is who and you don't know why. But it is. I have to. I have to tell you, Hank. It was a very satisfying ending, and and you made everything make sense. I understood who did what, and I also understood why they did it. Uh, and again, a, a high art, and and not something that's easy to do. Well, thank you. As a lawyer, since you're a lawyer, that is the highest of praise, because you understand, the, you know, the high tension and the high stakes, and the and the desire to win. You know, the desire to win is so paramount for every lawyer. And when those, you know, there can, there can be a prosecutor and there can be a defense attorney, and each of them has the same goal to win, but the result is diametrically opposite. You know, how, you know and that's really great conflict. Uh, so, you know, a legal thriller, a psychological legal thriller, like I write, is the perfect, is the perfect milieu for that because that is what real life is like. It is, and you have the you have the highest stakes and the strongest will to win. Mm -hmm. And on that note, um, I'm going to conclude this conversation with Hank Filippi Ryan. We were talking about the murder list. We we're talking about how Hank approaches writing and her successful career. You're listening to the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I am William L. Myers, Jr. The name of the show is Writing Wrongs. And, Hank, would you tell people how they can find you uh, on the Internet, on Facebook, on Twitter? Yes, my pleasure. Um, I want to say the murder list was just named Best of the Year by 
The Strand Magazine, and Suspense Magazine, and there's several other best-of-the-year lists. The Murder List has made so many lists, and I'm happy about that. My website is hankphilippyryan.com. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at, at, at Hank P. Ryan, and on Facebook at Hank Philippi Ryan Author Page. And sadly, I'm on social media way too much of the time, so <laughs> I hope your many listeners um, will come find me. It's also easy to sign up for my mailing list via my website, HankPhilippiRyan.com, um, and I'd love to stay in touch with everyone. Thank you, Hank. And this is William L. Myers, Jr. again. And you can get me at WilliamLMyersJr.com, on Twitter at, at @WilliamMyersJr, and Facebook at William L. Myers Jr. Hank, thank you again. Fantastic, fantastic conversation. My complete pleasure. Talk to you soon. Thank you. <laughs>